0: Appreciate you much. Appreciate you much. And everybody said, Praise the Lord. You may be seated for a moment. What a joy to be here. And to stand in this pulpit and to speak to this great church. The reason I bought that meal was because I once was a Bible college student. And I've never met a Bible college student that was rich. And it was my privilege, not knowing who I was buying the meal for, in prophecy and future ministry. I'm thrilled to be here. Let me just go ahead and, and, and get a little comfortable before you. I'm a bit, I'm a bit um, reluctant, uh, off my game just a little bit. Uh, not quite tuned in just yet, because uh, I'm really disappointed in what I've seen. When I came to this city I figured it, there would be angels At the city limit sign I, I, felt, I have been to Israel And I know what it is to come into the holy city And it really is a holy city When that bus drove in I felt the presence of the Holy Ghost And that, that, I mean it was unreal It was a holy city And so To come to Cabot, I felt like Oh Lord There's going to be seraphims there. There will be angelic hosts all over the church campus. And the Spirit will follow me when I enter the city limit sign. And everybody there is just going to be perfect people. And there's somebody here that I really want to meet. I don't know who you are or where you are. But I really want you to put my name on your prayer list. Because how in this world, out of all the cities in the United States of America, out of all the large churches that would have been thrilled to have your pastor and his wife to be their spiritual leaders, and I have a number of North Carolina cities that I would gladly welcome a Brother Gaddy and every one of them. God said, no, this is where he's going. So somebody here has got a special place in the heart of God. And whoever prayed him here, pray for me. Because you know how to touch God, I'm telling you what. None of that is inflated. It is exaggerated. But the truth of the matter is, you are extremely blessed of God to have the spiritual leadership that you have in this church. A man that possesses the whole package and a man who is... In a world of the flaky and the fraudulent, the real deal. A man you can trust your soul to. Would you give your pastor and his wife a great big hand? And I'm so honored to be here. I, take, I want to take just a moment. I'll not be lengthy in my preaching this morning. Uh, usually, when I'm a guest speaker, I always cut it back to an hour and a half. So, you know. You don't have anything to worry about this morning. We're in good shape here. Everything's fine. I'm just teasing. Uh, And I know some of you are saying, praise God. I want to acknowledge some ministry that's here. I didn't know I was coming to the World Evangelism Center. There's enough elders and anointing, ministerial power, and prestigious people of position and world changers that you need to change the name of this church to World Evangelism Center because that's what God is doing right here in this congregation right now, making it a center of world evangelism. Clap your hands if you're excited about that. I was so thrilled to understand that Brother Oda was going to be here today. I was a teenager in North Carolina where I was raised when Brother Oda was pastor of church in Spartanburg, South Carolina, if I'm right, Spartanburg, South Carolina. Through the years, he was a youth camp instructor when I attended youth camp as just a, a, a child, a young person. And through the years, I've followed him and so thankful, honored to be in his presence today, great man of God. Then Brother and Sister Harden, who are my chauffeurs for service today. You know, you have come to town when someone like Brother Harden is your chauffeur got to be somebody of prestige, you know, to come in with such leadership, a man who has made a difference in this state, and whose reputation is worldwide, and a gifted man of God, I so esteem him so very much, and then brother and sister Shirley are here today, and they, they have been all over the world, and, and they have been so many places, I'm sure they don't remember this, but when we started the church in Raleigh, North Carolina, they were one of our very first missionaries to come to our church. To impact us with a vision for worldwide ministry. I'm telling you, this is World Evangelism Center. And I'm honored to be here today. And then Brother Wilson, thank you for coming and being with us. God bless you. And all the other ministry that's represented here. And the staff and team that makes this church truly what it is. And just so you'll know, I'm starting to preach right now. Because I didn't want you to think, when's he going to start preaching? (laughs) I want to... I'm just going to enter on into the word this morning Amen. and bring to you what I feel the Holy Ghost would have me to speak. You do not have to stand. I'm not asking you to stand. I'm going to preach it a little different. You know, we are so with our protocol and our procedure and our etiquette. I really don't think Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and said, thank you, Pastor, for this opportunity to preach the first message of the church. And uh, if everybody would stand and turn in your Bibles to Acts 2 and 38, which they didn't have. I'm going to be preaching today, and my message is entitled, and and no, I don't know where we got all that. It's all fine with me because I like it and I love it, but would you indulge me just to approach the word in a little different style this morning? As we now move into a season of reset and refocus, thank God with a pandemic, I believe, in our rear view mirror, would somebody say goodbye COVID? Is there anybody here ready to say goodbye COVID? A young man came to me after several months into the COVID season and he said, just a little boy, eight, nine years old, he said, Pastor, he said, could I recommend something to you? I said, certainly. He said, soon as all of this is over, could we bring all of our masks to the back of the church and let's burn them? Let's have a mask burning service. I kind of feel that spirit here this morning. It is imperative as we move out of the pandemic that we be reminded and challenged to refocus, renew, and to restore our commitment, our consecration, and our devotion. With that in mind, I bring to you today my subject, which will be entitled The Four Word Formula for Victory and Success. The Four Word Formula for victory and success. So before I even began, I guess I should should ask, am I preaching today to a church and to individuals that are really interested in spiritual victory and spiritual success? Is that really what you want? If I go fishing, I carry a stringer. If I go hunting, I carry a knife because I'm not out there enjoying the sunshine like a lot of my friends are. I expect a harvest. When I come to church, I expect blessings. I expect revival. I expect victory. I expect great things to happen. To many, the Bible is a book of deep, dark, difficult, undesertable discourses. Did you get that? The thing that keeps many from the Scriptures is not the part they don't understand, but the parts they do understand. The Bible is a documentary of the history of man coursing 6,000 plus years, launching humanity into the timeless state of eternity. It is the written will of God. A lot of people say, oh, i just like to know the will of God. Well, there it is. It's in your Bible. If you want to know the will of God, it is the mind of God. It is the will of God. Get into your Bible. I don't mean to meddle, but just a little bit, Pastor. But as I travel the United Pentecostal Church, I see something of great concern that I'd like to challenge you with. I'm afraid our, our modern-day screens and, and the Word of the Lord that appears before us magically and instantly has robbed some of us from the greatest treasure we have, and that's that old black book called the Holy Bible. If we really want a revival, we need a revival. bible And you need to get back into your Bible. Read the Bible through. Quote the Bible. Know the Bible. Study the Bible. It is alive. It is the greatest thing God's given to us. Is there anybody here that really can say, I love the Word of God. I love the Word of God. The Bible consists of 66 books. Men have exhausted their time on earth investigating, interrogating, and explore in its rich resource of wisdom and understanding. Much of it is yet unrevealed, unknown, cannot be explained. It is said, the only time the great Houdini, who was an escape artist, was baffled by a door he could not unlock, was a door that was not locked. He spent all of his energies trying to unlock something that wasn't locked. The good Lord said, I have set before thee and." open door. It is not locked. You don't have to be Houdini, crack a code, or unravel a ministry. Just walk in to the word of the Lord. It is an open book. God's greatest profundity is his simplicity. I tried to be as detailed and complicated as I could in my introduction because I'm going to preach the simplest message you've ever heard on earth. I will set you up for it. The scripture said a fool would not err therein. It says hidden from the wise and prudent and it's revealed unto babes which means you do not have to be a person of age or a sage. The world by wisdom knew not God. I want to emphasize that. The world by wisdom knew not God. There are men that have preached profound messages that couldn't even read the Bible they were preaching about. But the Spirit gave them insight and revelation and anointing. God in His goodness, graciousness, and kindness did not place the formula for victory and success thousands of years into His relationship with mankind. He did not seclude it in the depths of the middle of His book or hold you captive until the end. He just laid it out in full view, and people have stumbled over it for generation after generation. The formula, four-word formula for victory and success. Are you ready for this revelation is in my text Genesis one and one in the beginning God if you want to know the four word formula for spiritual victory and success it is four words in the beginning God God was saying to all humanity this ain't going to be rocket science it's not going to be deep dark unrevealed mysteries all I want you to do to have victory is put me first in your world. Put me first in your life. In the beginning, God. If you want victory and your are successful and be successful to walk with God, you need God first. If you want victory and success in your home, you need God first. If you want victory and success in your business, you need God first. In the beginning, God. Clap your hands and tell the Lord, I want you to be first in my life. God wants priority. God wants preference. God wants preeminence. God does not want to be your last choice, your last chance, or your concluding consolation. God doesn't want us to treat him like the Red Cross. He's only called in in time of emergency or national disaster. Now I know that words are ambiguous and they have a diversity of meaning and application and I'm sure the songwriter meant well but I think this could be also perverted to be Hell's theme song. And we used to sing it for years and years and years. Fortunately I hadn't heard it in a long time and I'm relatively glad about it. Although I'm sure it does have to some a good meaning but you know every once in a while you need to stop and think what you're saying. It's like the lady who got testified said, or the man who got testified in church said, oh, I love, That was her 40th anniversary. I love my wife just as much as I did the day I married her. And it was one of John and Mary situations. He thought the whole audience was going, oh, isn't that so sweet? He loves her like the day he married Forty years later, she's washed his clothes. She's cooked his meals. She put up with his griping, his groaning, and his moaning. She treated him like a son and was a mother to him and put up with all his disgusting Unethical habits. And after 40 years, he said, I love her like I did when I first married her. That's not too great, is it? That's really not a very celebratory statement. Sometimes we get all excited, but every once in a while you have to stop and think, now what did they say there? Just what did he say there? So here's what the songwriter said. When you've tried everything and everything has failed, try Jesus. When you've tried everything, everything has failed, try Jesus. Second verse gets worse. (laughs) When you've gone everywhere and you couldn't find it there, try Jesus. Hail loves that song. The devil loves that song. I preach to you today what you really need to do is put Jesus first and you will save yourself from the futility, the frustration, and the failures. To all of our children and young people here, he'll always welcome you back. If you leave the church and you you turn your back on righteousness and you get involved with all kind of evil and ungodliness, he will welcome you back. But you may not want to see you with what you'll bring back at that time. The best day and the best thing is to get in the church, put God first, never backslide, never leave the church, be true to God, be faithful to God, and then live for him all the days of your life. The greatest testimony is this is what I used to be and this is what I'm now. The greatest testimony is not that. The greatest testimony is I never did that. And the grace that can bring you out of it is the grace that can keep you out of it. You don't have to be an ex-drug addict to be a hero in Pentecost. You don't have to be an ex-alcoholic to be a hero in Pentecost. The heroes are the kids that can be raised in a church and say, I don't know what liquor tastes like. I don't know what illicit drugs are like. I don't know what a prison sale looks like. All I've known is loving God, living for God, Praising God and being in the church. Clap your hands, young people, make that your goal. The scriptures illustrate God first in more references than I have time to allude to. But let me lift for your consideration just a few of them this morning. Judges 1 1 through 2. Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites first? Who shall go up first? Verse 2 says, Judah shall go up. I want to preach to you this morning that praise coming out of the pandemic should be first. The first thing we need to do right now is praise God with a ferociousness, with a furiousness, with a sincerity, with a, rat, a loud applause. It's time for Pentecostals to praise God like we have never praised God. We have just come through a situation that if the church could have been defeated, it would have been defeated. If you could have been made to fail and go back on God, you would have gone back on God. But the fact is, you're here this morning and we need to praise God like we have never praised God before. Judah shall go up first. You don't wait till you get the victory and then praise. It's praise first. You don't wait to get healed and then praise. It's praise first. You don't wait till you get your prayer answered and then you praise. It's praise first. Somebody shout, hallelujah. First Kings 17 13. The little widow lady and her son were saved from starvation and miraculously provided for because the Bible said she prepared the man of God a cake first. She prepared the man of God a cake first. I want to tell you that God wants to be first. Mark 12, 41, Jesus watched how they gave. Not what they gave, but he watched how they gave. God is more interested not so much in what you give. It's how you give. And I'm just going to meddle here just a moment and tell you that ties is not 10%. Stay with me. Don't start ripping your clothes and heading out the door. False doctrine. Tithing is not 10%. I want you to realize that the Bible said tithing is the first 10%. It is not the last. It's not in the middle. You don't buy your groceries, pay your car note, pay your mortgage, buy whatever you want to buy. God, it's your lucky day. You get tithes this week. I just happen to have 10% left, and I'm going to bless you. But when you tithe first, you prove your love to God. You prove your faith in God because you're believing that 90% with the blessing of God is greater than 100% with the curse of God. And it's the only thing and I know in the Bible where God said, I'll bless you if you do it, and I'll curse you if you don't. It's the only thing I've read in the Bible. So that tells me I want to be faithful to God in my finances more than ever before. If you're not a tither, you're robbing yourself. You can be blessed beyond your imagination if you will put God first. Psalm 137, and verse 6. The Bible says that as we view it here, momentarily it shall appear, I'm sure. Psalm 137 and 6. I have faith. (laughs) If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. Notice, if I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. I want to remind you that Jerusalem in the Bible is a type of the church. And the church should be our number one priority. Coming out of the pandemic, we might have picked up some bad habits. (laughs) We could have easily picked up some bad habits. That we can sit home and eat a hot dog or Cheerios and watch Pastor Gaddy pour it out on a live stream message. I'm going to tell you, that was a substitute. It was only a substitute. It is not church. I appreciate everybody that watched it. I, I, You know, the funniest thing I've ever seen, Brother Harden, at a general conference. This is a true story. My wife and I were sitting at a general conference, and this guy came up through the bleachers. Evidently, he was a new convert, didn't know much about Pentecostal etiquette. He come up through the bleachers, right when the man's preaching, and in one hand, he had a Coke, and in the other hand, he had a hot dog. And so he's going to sit back there during preaching and drink his Coke and eat his hot dog. But Pentecostals, if you're not careful during the pandemic, you can allow what was to be temporary. Say temporary. A substitute, but not really the best substitute, but something just to keep us a little bit connected to rob us of the priority and the necessity of going to the house of the Lord. There is no substitute for in-person attendance to the house of God. There was a day that people went to church because that was the only thing going on in the community. They didn't have the money to go anywhere else. There were no alternatives. Church is where everybody went. But if you go to church now, it is absolutely a priority in your life. And I'll tell you another revelation we're getting right now. We've known it all along, but it's good to be reminded. People only come to church that wants to come to church. Because a pastor has no way of making you come. There are no alternatives for anybody that doesn't want to come. That's a reason like the old timers used to say. In their testimonies, which we don't have anymore, and everybody probably should say praise God. But back in the day of the testimony services, when I was a kid, everybody that testified started the same way. I want to thank God that he gave me a desire to live for him and a desire to go to church. I'm going to tell you, that's one of the greatest testimonies anybody's ever given, because without a desire, you have no hope. If you don't have something inside of you that says, I want to go to church. I want to be in the house of the Lord. And you have to prioritize it and prefer it above your chief joy. There's a lot of things in the world that can bring you joy. But church should be number one on your list. There's nothing greater than being in the presence of God. There's nothing greater than feeling the power of God. There's nothing greater than seeing miracles happening. There's nothing greater than gathering together with people of like precious faith and being blessed by the Spirit of God. Clap your hands and thank God for church. I am more excited about Easter celebration Sunday next week than any Easter I've ever been in in my life. Because I don't know what was going on here, but when I went to church last Easter, we had 10. There was a, the governor had shut every church down. All we could have was the preacher, a few singers, and somebody operating the live stream. Can you imagine church on Easter with 10 people? You know how I felt? I felt like I missed the rapture and I'm still trying to be a preacher. Sure is, a, sure is a Word of God. I missed it. The church is gone. But I'm still going to try to preach. That's all I know to do. Nobody there. But I'm believing when we come to church next Sunday morning, there's going to be a passion. There's going to be a power. There's going to be a gratitude. There's going to be a thanksgiving that we get to come into the house of the Lord and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and declare to a desperate world he's alive he's alive the greatest message of the church is not acts two thirty-eight. it's not deuteronomy 6 and 4 the greatest truth of the bible is he's alive he's alive he's alive he's alive, he's alive. He's alive. can you clap your hands and thank god for that Cut through the chase here. Come on to some more quickly. First Timothy two and one. I was raised in the church, so I know a good bit about it. First Timothy two and one. As I was being raised, uh, I'm sorry, I must give you the wrong scripture. Oh no, there it is. That must be the yeah. I got you. Uh, there's two scriptures up there. I got it. First Timothy two and one. When I was raised in the church. Paradigm shifts has happened. By the way, just let me say this to all of you that are here today. You got in the church at the greatest time in the world. You chose to come to church right now, and the church is greater than it's ever been. And has more to offer than it's ever had. And it's, it's more wonderful. I've been in it since I was 13. And I can tell you, this is the greatest day the church has ever had. Welcome to Pentecost at its greatest moment. So our pastor would do his best You know he didn't go to Bible college He didn't have a lot of training Wonderful man of God Did what he could But I remember him on services After service he'd say Now we need somebody To to, to mow the grass this week Could somebody mow the grass Someone clean the restrooms We need some Sunday school teachers Uh, Could we get somebody to drive the van Uh, Could we get some ushers We'd like to have a little choir up here too Could we get a few people to come sing And then they would always conclude like this Well if you can't do anything else Will you pray? And then they made this statement That is God bless them They said because Everybody can pray Wrong Y'all having a prayer meeting when? Come to a prayer meeting Friday night And see if that's true See if everybody Can pray See if everybody can pray. They may be in the building, but they're checking their emails. And they're looking at pictures of their grandbabies. And they're listening to gospel music. I don't know I'm meddling here today, but I'm talking about what does it mean to pray. I'm here to tell you, I've been in Pentecost a long, long time. I hate to report to you, but the mass number of people who profess to be Pentecostals do not know how to pray. They really don't know how to come in here and get a hold of God. My grandson Huntley is dating a young lady and I know we're on a live stream here probably this morning and, but I'll, I'll live by it, I'll stand by it. I was out of state preaching and my, my grandson's girlfriend was going to come visit our church for the first time. I mean this girl can sing the paint off the walls. She is absolutely phenomenally talented. I called her pastor. He thought I was calling about her. I was really calling about some other business. He said, I know you're calling about such and such. I heard that your grandson was dating her. He said, well, let me tell you this. I only got one problem with her. I said, what's that? He said, I wish I had a son that could marry her. So I felt pretty good about that. So my wife said, she's going to be in prayer meeting with us tonight. I said, don't let her know, obviously. But I want you to watch her. And I want to see what she does during prayer meeting. I know what she does when she's on the platform. She rocks the house. Powerful. I want to see what she does during prayer meeting. My wife texted me after prayer meeting and said, you're going to be happy. I said, what do you mean? She said she knelt and never got up for one hour. She was in prayer talking to God. So this has gone on for a while now. One day I went to my grandson and I said, Huntley, that's his his first name is my last name. I said, Huntley, and he and I have a great relationship. I said, son, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? If you don't soon ask that girl to marry you, I am. Do you want me to ask her? Shall I go to her and just say, he's bashful, he's timid, he's a little slow? He really wants you to marry him. Would you marry him? Of course, he knew that was a big joke. But I'm here to preach to you today in Pentecost. Prayer is not the last thing. It's not the last thing. I exhort, therefore, that first of all supplications, prayer. Prayer is not what we do last. Prayer is what we do first. It's the first thing we do Before we preach, we need to pray Before we sing, we need to pray Before we teach, we need to pray Before we teach Bible studies, we need to pray God, give us a passion Give us a passion to pray Matter of fact, very quickly The disciples didn't say, Lord, teach us how to pray They said, teach us to pray Teach us to pray Teach us to pray, and the only way you can pray is what the writer said, draw me, and we will run after thee. There's got to be a void and a vacancy that says, I need God, I need prayer, I need to talk to him. God baptized this church with a passion for prayer, such as we've never known in our lives. I got a grandson, he's about seven years old, maybe eight now, but... He's about six or seven, and my wife and I, we put together a prayer that we pray over our meals. When I teach home Bible studies, I teach people why we pray over the food. You don't give thanks. You know. do give thanks. There's more than that. Timothy said we sanctify the food. So you need to, when you pray over your food, you don't need to say, God, we thank you for this food. Like one old-timer used to sing, bless the hands that repaired it. Because usually what we eat, we need it repaired before we eat it. Bless the hands that repaired it. We taught our grandkids to pray this prayer. Lord, we thank you for this food. Bless it and sanctify it to our bodies in Jesus' name. So my little grandson, he's trying to quote that prayer and get it right. And so we would ask him to pray over the meals. And uh, Jensen would say, Lord, I'm asking you to blessify this food. <laughs> he just cut through the chase, you know. He got to bless and sanctify together. He said, I want you to blessify the food. And so that was so cute. We, we, we'd always ask him to pray so we could hear that, you know. And we didn't make a show because we wanted to keep doing it, blessify it, Lord. And so we were at a restaurant and went in. I, said, I got my camera all ready. And I said, Gent, we want you to pray over the food. He saw the camera. He saw the camera. I said, come on, Gent. Pray for us. Pray for the food. He said, Mm-mm. and this is what shocked me. He calls me grand buddy. He said, grand buddy, I have been praying way too much lately. (laughs) (laughs) I have been praying way too much lately. Jensen, Carl, Hebron, Balistrier, that's his name. You know why they used all those names? They don't have any more kids. He was the last one, so they gave him every name they knew. And so that guy prayed that prayer. He was the last one. And so that was his prayer, blessify the food. I have never met anybody that could stand, look me in the face and say, well, I tell you, Pastor, I've just been praying way too much lately. I have been praying way too much lately. I'm afraid there's some folks, if you got on your knees and prayed, God would say, now who is this? Uh, I hear a voice. I don't seem to recognize that voice. Uh, Michael, Gabriel, uh, could you tell me who that is? I I may have heard it once or twice, but I'm not that familiar. with. No, no. When I drop to my knees, and I say, oh, God, I love you. I praise you. Just wanted you to know I need you. That God says, I know exactly who that is, and I know exactly where he is. Daniel prayed as he had done a what? A four times. It wasn't his first prayer meeting. He was only praying as he always had prayed. And let me just say this to you. If you'll learn, if you don't hear anything else I say about prayer, hear this. If you'll learn to pray like you're in a storm when you're in the calm, you won't nearly have as many storms. If you'll learn to pray like you're in a storm when everything's great, Learn to pray like things are bad, like things are horrible, like you just got bad news. Everybody sees you squalling and crying. Oh, God, I need you. They come up and say, what's wrong with you? Nothing's wrong with me. I I just don't need God when everything's bad. I need God desperately when everything's going great. The majority of the challenges, contradictions, and conflicts in the lives of people would be resolved if they would just put Jesus in the beginning. I'm moving to a quick conclusion now, but notice Mark chapter 4 and 38, Mark 4, 38, the storm hit, and the Bible said in Mark 4, 38, speaking of Jesus, he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awake him and say unto him, Master, these are some of the craziest words in the Bible, (laughs) the disciples weren't really all that bright, Can you imagine asking God in flesh who had left the beauties of the celestial city came to earth born in a manger with cattle all around him far from his throne to become flesh and blood like we are inhabit that body such a redemptive role and they say, do you care? (laughs) What do you mean do I care? Do you know who I am? Do you know how I got here? Do you know it took something that never had been done to get me here? And something that never will be done again to get me here? And then you're going to ask me, do I care? (laughs) Master, carest thou not that we perish? Number one, they should have had enough sense. If Jesus is on board, it ain't going down. That's our problem We get a little trial We get a little test And we forget He's with us We get all shook up Paranoid Go into terror Scared out of our mind Somebody needs to shake And say wait a minute Do you know who's with you? Have you forgot He's with you? Have you forgot He's in you? Have you forgotten? He said, I'll never fail you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. Have you forgotten that? He said, greater is he that's in you, than he that's in the world. Every once in a while, you just need to be reminded, it's going to be all right. I wish the church would shout, it's going to be all right. So how is it possible that we can encounter storms with Jesus on board the ship? I'm going to give you three reasons quickly, and I'll close. Far less than an hour and a half. There's three ways you can run into a storm even though you got Jesus on board the ship. Number one is where he was. Number two is what he was doing. And number three is when they bothered to awake him. Number one, the Bible said he was in the, man, I couldn't have written the Bible better myself to match my sermon. <laughs> I should have asked you to put this in there, but he already had it in there before I yeah. The Bible said Jesus was in the hinder part of the ship. I'm getting ready to hit you with something real deep here. Did you know when you put him in the hinder, you hinder? It's the same word. Hinder and hinder is the same word. When you put him in the hinder part of your life, when you put him in the far remote, dark, unseen places in your heart you are hindering his work in your life. They put him in the hinder and when he's in the hinder you hinder. The second thing is what he was doing. He was sleeping. He was there but he was sleeping. Which speaks to me of having the Holy Ghost in your life but not having it activated. Having it in your life but not energized not in motion not in power now you'll know this illustration is old but it's still one of my favorites years ago I used to drink iced tea with a lot of sugar in it because I'm a southerner I'm from North Carolina and in North Carolina they make sweet tea that tastes like maple syrup you can pour the tea on your pancakes (laughs) if you ever run out of syrup. (laughs) It's the truth. And so I was raised drinking maple tea. And so I went into a restaurant with some preachers and, and we were sitting there talking and I'd put two or three spoonfuls of sugar in that glass of tea. And I thought, I'll have a little drink. And I raised it up and I drank it. And it was, oh, oh, Lord. Did you say you drunk tea without sweetener? He's a better man than I am. I tasted that. See, tea's a misnomer to me. You boil it to make it hot. You put ice in it to make it cold. And you put sugar in it to make it sweet. And then you drink it. By the time you get through getting it ready, your meal's cold. So I got ready to get a drink of that tea, and I turned it up. I know that we don't sprinkle but I about sprayed all oh, those preachers I gulped that stuff down it was horrible and I said Lord have mercy I know I put sugar in this glass it was then I got this marvelous deep profound revelation it is not the sugar that sweetens the tea it's the stirring Ooh. You can have all the sugar in the world in there. But until you stir it, it has no influence. It has no effect. And that's why Paul said, stir up the gift that is within you. It's not enough to have the Holy Ghost. You need it stirred up. You need it moving. You need it motivated. You need it energized in your life. The third point is this. When they awoke him. Until they thought they were about to die, they didn't need him. Until they thought their lives were in hazard, they left him alone. They only bothered to awake him when they were in peril. I want you to know today, and I've already touched it just a little bit, but God in our life is not just good in the bad times. He's good in the good times. I love to feel the Holy Ghost when everything's great. I love to pray when I don't have a problem. And I could say, like that famous song that Dottie Rambo wrote before most of you were born. I just came to talk to you, Lord. I don't have a special need in mind. I don't have any problems right now. I don't have any difficulties. But, oh, God, I'm just coming to that prayer meeting Friday night, not because I've been diagnosed with cancer, not because my son's run away from home, not because I don't know where my daughter is. Everything's great. But, God, I'm walking through these doors tonight because I just want to talk to you. And I just want you to know, that in the bad times you're good, and in the good times you're good. Clap your hands if you agree with that. And I close with John 5, 4. Notice how miraculous this story is. For an angel, oh my, an angelic celestial being went down a certain season. It was an angel. It was an appointed, appointed time. It was an appointed place in the pool. And it was a, an appointed purpose to trouble the water. The angel came down. Can you imagine an angel's there? It's an appointed moment. The stage is set, everything's right for a miracle. But it's not going to happen for everybody. The scripture said the first one in was made whole it was the first one that responded the first one that stepped in was the one that got the miracle we've heard so much about responders and first responders and their heroes and thank God for them and all that we've come through but let me tell you something God rewards first responders we need to make up our minds we're not going to be the last one to clap our hands We're not gonna be the last one to stand to our feet. We're not gonna be the last one to come to the altar. We're not gonna be the last one to say amen to the preaching. We're not gonna be the last one to let God know we love him. God responds to first responders. Could we have some first responders here today? You're not gonna wait on everybody else, but you're gonna be the first one to give him praise right now. You're gonna be the first one to bless his name. The first one in was the one that was healed by the power of God. God rewards first responders. The simple four word formula for victory and success is in the beginning God. Just put God first in your life. And you'll find your problems are minimal. You'll find your situations are better if you will just put God first in your life. Would you lift your hands and tell the Lord, God, I want you to be first in my life. I want you to have first place in my life. I want you to be my priority. I want you to be my preeminence. God, I want you to occupy the throne of my heart and my life. And my thoughts first of all are about you. Your work, your kingdom, and your calls. Lift your hands right now tell the Lord. I want God first in my life. Put God first in your life. Come on, let's lift the-